Welcome back. This is uh, episode two of the Struck Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett, and I'm here uh, visited remotely by lightning protection expert and CEO of uh, WeatherGuard Lightning Tech, Alan Hall. Alan, what's going on? Hey, Dan. How's it going there in Washington, D.C.? You guys getting some sunny weather down there finally? It was beautiful today. Oh, man, my walk. I'm going to go run later, try to wow. you know, run in straight lines on the sidewalk till I see a human, then take a sharp <laughs> left into traffic to avoid... <laughs> you know, them breathing on me or me breathing on them. So yeah. What's the know. etiquette rules there when you approach someone running the opposite way? What's, what's everybody just go to their right? Is that, do they do the opposite in the UK? How does that work? <laughs> this is a good one. Um, I subconsciously sort of hold my breath. I, I've, I've noticed myself doing it. I'm like, I don't want to breathe your air in. Don't breathe my, don't breathe my air in. Keep your, everyone keep your air to yourself. Uh, but also, you can just see the subtle, the subtle movements of people just starting to oh, get yeah. out of your way. And sometimes it's not subtle, and that's fine. Like, no one's getting offended. Um, I think people are friendlier. I mean, I'm, I think I'm, like, giving people a, a nod. People are making eye contact with me. Like, we're all like, hey, thanks for staying six feet away. Like, you know, we appreciate <laughs> each other. There's, honestly, there's, like, a kind of vibe from that, which isn't surprising. Like, we're all – I feel yeah. like a lot – most Americans and most people around the world right now are in this – we are in it together. Like we understand the rules. Like I'm going to stay away from you to respect and, you know, yeah. do the same. And so there is that kind of feeling here in the city, which I think is, I think it's kind of nice. It's kind of, it, there's a little bit of a neighborly feel to it, which is good. Well, you're kind of in an epicenter as, of, I am. as we keep hearing on, on the news. Very the diverse, time. very diverse city. Obviously the center, I mean, it's the capital of the United States. So yeah, we don't have many cases yet though, which is good. It seems like there's only in the three hundreds maybe. So, well, that's not bad for a city of that size, quite honestly. And obviously, New York City is is really taking the brunt of it right now. Um, just the cases there are scary. Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, DC. I don't know the population here, but it's not a. It's DC is not a big city. There's a huge metro area, like it's an epicenter. Suburbs. The, the traffic is disproportionately yeah. large to the the population, but um, I, I think there's only what maybe. 700,000 is the maybe the DC population the officially in the district is that what it is it's not a very sun. large area it's not it's a very walkable city um kind of like a three mile radius is kind of what I would say I mean it's it's nothing like Chicago which was sort of my epicenter living in Illinois the last 10 yeah. years where I mean Chicago is very big and of course New York Massive. is so much yeah. bigger than that yeah um but yeah, so it's it, it's been interesting. Just uh, are are people wearing masks down there? As so, are you seeing anybody jogging with a mask, or is or is it pretty much just you're keeping your distance? And so um, I've seen more masks in the last three or four days than I've seen in a long time. During yeah. So what about you? So you're up in obviously in the wilderness, and I mean it's beautiful up where you are in Williamstown. But it is before I answer, what's what's your situation? So you guys have good amount of masks or a little bit? Uh, well, people are. It's weird. Uh, we're so uh, sort of sparse out here. Uh, the people who are running around mostly are, are without masks. And it, so when I saw one the other day, I thought, wow, that's, that's odd. It's unusual. Um, and we went through, um, where were we the other day? We were, we were out of, we went to the next town over. We were just kind of getting out of the house and driving somewhere to try to everybody get their sanity and people were wearing masks. And I thought, well, it's probably a smart move, particularly if you're in those vulnerable categories, is to to throw a mask on. Um, 
even though the, the, the rates, well, as we're testing, we're finding out there's a lot more cases up here than, that, than we thought there was. But mm-hmm. um, I, I think it, it's, it's smart just to wear the mask if you, if you have it, I suppose. And, you know, all the, all the doctors and nurses are obviously in need of those first. But, um, you know, some of the, just the face coverings are, are interesting. And, and it's, it's, you kind of wonder if it's going to become more uh, acceptable, particularly in the states, because uh, it's sort of not acceptable in the states. It's sort of a cultural thing, I think. When you're especially when you're on an airplane, yeah, um, that people do not wear masks. Uh, I think people take it as a sign that you're really sick. Um, so everybody kind of scoots away with someone who's wearing a mask. It's kind of a weird dynamic there. So I kind of wonder if that's going to change over time, just because of we're all interconnected we're all traveling across the world all the time anymore it doesn't take any time for any sort of disease to travel yeah so to answer your question i'd say most people are not wearing them but there's a good Mm. amount where you notice it consistently i mean if i'm walking in an area where there's you know a bunch of people around which i'm not in areas like that often but if i'm you know walking down the sidewalk and i see people across the street or the grocery store there's a yeah there's a good percentage of masks and I, I couldn't tell you what it is. It's probably less than you'd think, but you notice them all. So you sort of, yeah. you sort of like pick up on them, but it's maybe 10%, 20%, but in a grocery it, store, that's 30, 40 people. Yeah. You know, right. Whatever, it is. Yeah. So, it, it, um, is, don't you think that's at a sort of an American cultural thing not to wear it? It's, it seems unusual because I think I, in some countries yeah. it's more accepted. Yeah. And, and in, I don't know if it was this year or in past, cause I know I'd, I'd noticed some Asian Americans or, or just, Asian, whether they're just tourists or whatever, I'd notice people wearing masks, you know, before this epidemic or this pandemic, whatever you're calling it. But um, just at various times, whether it's flu season, the only person you would ever see wearing a mask would be an Asian person. Um, and maybe that was you know, obviously like with the SARS outbreak. I mean, it was a very serious problem. So that made a lot of sense. Smart. Um, yeah. It's totally smart. It, you know, DC is a very diverse city yeah, it is. People and, there, and there's no difference here of who's wearing them you're yeah. white black asian it doesn't it doesn't matter everyone's yeah. there's no difference and it's just and i thought about the other day i'm like should i wear a mask how would i feel about wearing a mask and i felt <laughs> weird about it but at the same time yeah. yeah you know just you're just trying to protect yourself of course i have no access to anything i was super excited i bought bleach last night oh wow but you actually found bleach i found there were two jugs really tucked away in the bottom row of uh or bottom shelf of, of target which target i went oh, there because wow. i needed something for uh, actually for a piece of hardware for the podcast for some soundproofing and oh. i expected it i mean target's big, big and yeah, big. i expected it to be pretty busy it was like 7 45 yeah it was a ghost town i mean way wow. and they have full grocery store in this one i figured target was going to be much busier than the local grocery store but it was the exact opposite it was very sparse Hmm. which was surprising to me. So I hadn't well, been to Target since this has really been a big thing. Well, I guess it's good that people are staying off. You don't need to be out. Don't be out. That's what we're being told right now. So, you know, yeah. until things kind of calm down, that's probably a good good choice. Yeah. And uh, yes, that's true. I mean, in every, in every store is different in their protocols. So I personally, I, th- I think a lot of people have, everyone has to some extent, like your personal brands, like just brands that you would choose over, whether it's your yeah. brand of cottage uh, cheese or the type of shirts <laughs> you buy, whether you're Nike or Adidas shoes, whatever. Yeah. Um, but like Costco, I really just respect their company, their leadership, like the way they price things, uh, just the quality of their foods. It seems like they take care sure. of their employees. Yeah, that's And true. so I went to Costco. I, I jumped on the Metro a week and a half ago, went to Costco and everyone's like, you're going to go to Costco? 
but it's like of all the of all the places I could get groceries <laughs> in this pandemic, yeah, I really yeah. trust Costco more than other places to like do things right and like keep their customers safe and put good systems in place yeah. and yeah. and really clean things. And when I showed up, there was yeah. a really long line outside. And it was for that exact reason. They were limiting customers, how many could go inside. Mm. They were meticulous with, if you got to, you know, you had to sort of wait, a person gave you a cart, they wiped it off for you. Then you were on your way oh, to wow. the store. They limited the, they were like, you know, curating the lines. They did, a, they just did a really impressive job of exactly what you're, I think what you should be doing, which is, you know, I think their leadership made a plan and said, this is, this is how we yeah. can make our, our stores yeah. safer yeah. and have less employee interaction because they don't want their employees being too close to you either for everyone's safety. Um, so like they're one of those companies that I think that just, and I'm not saying other companies are doing this, this too, but it was very organized, very systematic, very well thought out. I, I felt like yep. when I went to Costco and they're like, Oh, don't go there. But you had enough space. They had a really good stock of thing and outside. And this was another thing they did. They had a big whiteboard outside and it said, here's things we don't have in stock and here's what we do have in oh, stock. Oh, brilliant. So, so you don't have to go brilliant. in there. If, yeah. you need, if you need toilet paper and they don't have it, you're going to see it right outside. And you don't have to yeah. bother. Not wasting your so, time. Man. So yeah, yeah. I, was, I was really impressed with them. And I think a lot of companies are really working hard to try to just get yeah. customers what they need as safely as possible. So. Well, I, I saw that today uh, with some of the airline things that are going on because there are some airlines that are still flying and obviously in limited capacity mm-hmm. um, and the efforts are going through to make sure the airplanes are clean and, and their, the pilots and the crew are in safe conditions, right? So they've established procedures, so they're trying to keep everybody distance or doing cleaning techniques and, mm-hmm. and clean the airplanes and that kind of thing. I was, I was surprised at the level of detail there that at least in this one particular airline I saw, um, because they were taking everything into consideration and it, and it's similar to things I've seen, uh, happen on subways actually. Uh, and you don't think about, uh, how much effort it takes to clean an airplane, but it takes a lot of effort Ugh. to clean an airplane. There's yeah. a lot of services there. Obviously, and I know there may not be a lot of passengers, but still, it doesn't really matter. You're going to have to clean it all, mm-hmm. and it, it's it was a really uh, fascinating to watch how quickly the airlines had responded to that and were able to put measures in place. The other thing that's obviously happening is they're they're parking a lot of airplanes, and I saw it down in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma today. I think it was United, not wasn't United. It was American. American was parking airplanes on the tarmac of the runways. Uh, just to keep the airplanes, you know, someplace warm and safe while everything's mm-hmm. going on. And it's sort of depressing to see the number of airplanes park, but it's, it's sort of um, encouraging in this sense. They're not parking them out in the desert and, and, and uh, going to put them away permanently. You know, they're, they're intending yeah. to bring those airplanes back. So, you know, it, a couple of weeks, hopefully we can be up back and running, um, you know, obviously not at full strength on the airlines and there's going to be a little bit of hesitancy to do that, but there's hope coming. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we can see a big difference. And obviously everybody keeping their distance from one another now, it's going to make a big difference two, three weeks from now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, with all the public transportation, so, you know, the Metro is something that, you know, my sister personally is like, don't take the Metro. I'm like, okay. But the yeah. Metro is such a ghost town that I walk down don't touch yeah. a single thing. Touch yeah. my Metro card to the scanner. Right. Oh, lets me through the gate. I stand there. Don't touch anything. I get in my car. I'm the only person yep. in that car. I sit yep. down. 
the, you know, the doors open and close for you, get off. And I've gone through my Metro ride without any, it's like not even close to having interaction with a human, yeah. you know, and it's, uh, that's not like every mode of public transportation. I watched a no, city, a city no. bus go by the other day and it was two thirds full of people. And I'm like, not Buses doing that, not yeah. doing that. Yeah. That's a, buses that's, are going to be hard. But I, I, I even, I remember when I was recently flying across the country, I took Southwest airlines and I, it, you know, it's one of those things you, you don't really pay attention to. You start, you start thinking about it. And I realized like, I don't have to, I'm not touching, I'm not interfacing with a human here hardly at mm-hmm. all until I get through TSA yeah, I don't really interact with a human. I can put my. I, in fact, I can bring all my stuff in on my phone, so I can have my boarding pass on my phone. I don't. If I don't have any luggage, I can go right to the gate. There's really no human interaction or exchanging, or like it used to be in the past. There's paper. You had paper here, paper mm-hmm. there. Um, all that's changed a lot. And I think. Well, we're probably going to see more of that. Quite honestly, as we go forward, that less exchanging of things between humans is, is, you know, one way to cut down on some of this viral, viral spread. And if we just design the systems a little bit differently, um, we can cut down on some of the contamination that's going on. So it's going to yeah. be interesting to see. It yeah. really is going to be interesting to see. Well, and you wonder what, if some of these just general human interactions, like greetings, like handshakes, yeah. Oh, are yeah. they, they going to come back? Are people going to be shaking hands? You know, say this is all mostly over and done with life back to normal, say just arbitrarily in July 1st in August, yeah. are people yeah. going to be shaking hands? Uh, probably no. it's, it's reflexive, well, but it maybe depends. not. You never know. It, it, I guess it depends on the situation, right? In, in yeah. the United States, it's really a cultural thing, but in other places of the world, it's not. Um, yeah, so, you know, cultural things come, cultural things go with time, depending on the outside environment. And this is one of those things that's probably going to change that. I think, uh, obviously, as we're all raised as kids in the States, that's one of the things, um, have a good handshake, right? That's yeah, for sure. Job interviews is like, have a good handshake. Yeah. Why that makes a difference and not my resume, I don't know. But what, it, if, what if you have a really firm handshake, but then you immediately pull out hand sanitizer afterwards? Well, <laughs> where, I mean, where does that get you? <laughs> it, it, people used to be criticized for that, uh, quite honestly. There was politicians that were criticized for doing that, and some business leaders were criticized for doing that. But uh, if they're if you think about it from their point of view is that if you're interfacing with a hundred or a thousand people at a conference or something like that, yeah, you pretty much any disease in the world is probably going to mm-hmm. be on your hands. And yeah, you know, you, you don't want, if you want to remain somewhat healthy, you probably ought to well, wash your hands. is probably the best thing. And then, you know, putting hand sanitizer on is probably a decent second. Um, but in, in some cases, you know, years ago, it used to be sort of insulting. I don't think that's insulting anymore. I think that's going to be more of the norm. You can see yeah. a lot more of the Purell things and the little um, hand squirter things that are out and then the restrooms and that sort of thing. Did You know, if it, if it knocks down the virus and it saves lives, then, yeah, we should be doing it. Yeah, totally. for sure. Speaking of things that uh, vaporize things, <laughs> lightning. So, well, one of the topics we want to cover today is like, just kind of like the the bare bones, how much energy is in a light, typical lightning strike that a yeah. plane or helicopter or yeah. blimp or, uh, you know, say the Oscar Mayer wiener mobile is driving down the highway and gets struck by lightning. How much, <laughs> I saw that last how, summer, yeah. How, how much lightning is going? In the peanut mobile. Yeah. yeah. So what, what, what are the typical strikes that um, any motor train, you know, any aircraft is going to take? Yeah, so the FAA requirements are interesting because this this conversation, this uh, concept came up again last week at the 
design project that I'm working on of of energy density and how much energy is in a lightning strike and and how do we best mitigate it. So uh, I used to work at uh, a lightning test lab down in Pittsville, Massachusetts. It was formerly called Lightning Technologies. It's called National Technical Services, NTS, um, now. But so when I worked in the lab there, one of the common questions was when when uh, we had a visitor come in to run to run some testing was well do the lights dim when you turn on the generator well no they don't actually and i haven't really never thought of it that way but um there's not that much energy total energy in a in a lightning strike uh, particularly when we're trying to recreate it in a lab it doesn't require additional power feeds from the power company the lights don't dim none of that happens it's it's a it's a measure of how fast you take that energy and discharge it that's where the power of lightning comes from. So that if you have a, a big bucket of energy and you spread it out over time, that amount of energy is not going to do much, right? But if I jam all that energy into a very small space in a very fast amount of time, short amount of time, uh, that's when things get explosive. And so that's that's the kicker for lightning and that getting that concept of it may not be huge buckets and tons of energy, but we're putting it into a very small space. And and depending on how we design our aircraft parts, it has a lot to do with how much damage they will see. So a, a sort of a good rule of thumb in, in uh, companies that come in that haven't done a lot of uh, testing or have a lot of experience with carbon fiber. Carbon fiber in particular is a sort of a, a little bit of a treacherous design uh, exercise because carbon fiber is resistive. But uh, when you make carbon fiber structures, if you don't paint it, if you strike it with lightning and it's not painted, it'll do pretty well, actually, because of the energy, the lightning energy actually spreads out over the surface of the part. When you paint it with some sort of polyurethane or aircraft paint epoxy, whatever it is, what those paints and coatings tend to do is focus the energy into a very small area. That's one thing that carbon hmm. fiber and composites don't like is a lot of energy in a very small area. So what we do for composite airplanes um, in particular is we end up putting some metal foils or uh, in some cases what we call interwoven wires in the carbon fiber. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But essentially what we're trying to do is spread the energy out over a larger area. Now, this has sort of implications on the size of the airplane, right? So if I'm, if I'm building a large, let's just call me company B, and I'm building a large uh transport aircraft that's going to hold 200 people, that aircraft's going to be fairly good size. So the, any sort of carbon fiber structure I design there, because the structure is big and weighty and massive, there's a lot of carbon fiber there. And from a lightning standpoint, it doesn't really matter all that much what kind of coatings are put on it because the structure is so thick. So the, the carbon fiber can handle it. When I build a small airplane, like a small uh, small jet, like a small business jet, like you see today, or some of these uh, uh, light transport things that are popping around, sort of self-guided uh, things that are going on, those are much lighter, thinner structures. I mean, maybe build out of carbon fiber typically, and the energy density is strong there. So because the, the structures are much, much thinner, any sort of coating you put on it has a lot to do with how much damage it takes. So when you see a big airplane get struck by lightning, you think, wow, that's, that's you know, a decent amount of damage. If you put that same amount of damage into a much lighter structure that's used on a smaller aircraft, it causes a much bigger damage area. Uh, 
Hmm. And, th and that's that's the trick. Um, so when we get a design, when I get a design project and it's on a big aircraft, like, oh, this is easy. Uh, when I get a small aircraft, uh, like a three-person, four-person kind of airplane, it's made out of some uh, carbon fiber, I know it's going to be a long haul just because of that reason. Yeah. And is there any way to get around? So, I mean, can you, obviously you can't have all these carbon fiber parts uncoated because I'm sure they're just right. Erode and just suffer a lot of effects with it. Just UV light, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Is there any what balance can you kind of find there in terms of the materials? I mean, I mean, as far as like, can you leave them more unpainted? Is there some sort of alternative coating or like what? Yeah, there's okay. So there's there's a number of different things that we do uh, that are standard. Probably the the most common one is what we call expanded metal foils. So these are thin foils. They may be a couple thousandths of an inch thick and they're perforated. And the reason we, we perforate them for a couple of different reasons, but it allows it to be able to glue it onto the airplane and it allows it to be a little more flexible. That material actually is a derivative of things they use to make capacitors with. So if you look out on your power pole out the street, you probably have a, a canister out there that's full of this expanded metal foil being a big coil to make a capacitor. That's what it's used for for the most part. But they use it on airplanes too because it does put some conductivity back into the airplane. So expanded metal foil does a good job of, of helping to spread out the lightning energy and kind of keep it out of the carbon fiber a little bit. Um, the other thing that it does is when lightning energy hits it, because it's so thin, it's only a couple thousand thick, it tends to vaporize. And when it vaporizes, it actually explodes the paint off around it. And it gets about a, I don't know, probably a 12 inch diameter area where the paint has been expelled, just exploded off. And the lightning energy just it, it reaches over that area and you get less localized damage. It's going to spread over a large area. That's the most common one. One of the lightest weight ones in airplane, everything is about weight. Uh, is interwoven wires. And interwoven wires are originally started off as, as four thousandths of an inch diameter wires that are woven with the carbon fiber fabric. So as you actually make the carbon fiber fabric, you put these little wires in, and there's about 10 or 12 wires per inch. So it makes this like metal grid, if you look at it. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing about that was, and that was developed on the Lear fan and the Lear fan was an early, early composite. It wasn't a jet. It was a, as a pusher propeller airplane and the same technology was then used on the, on the beach starship. But essentially you got these little metal wires that are woven into the carbon fiber. And when lightning hits that, those little metal wires expand, well, they're made out of aluminum. Typically they expand and they tend to, and then eventually they do, do melt and vaporize out. So, what happens is you get a grid of exploding aluminum wires that shoot mm. out. And then, <laughs> sounds sounds yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, they shoot out. But what it does is it, it takes the paint off the carbon fiber and allows the lightning energy to spread out. So it uses some uh -huh. of the early lightning current to remove the paint such that the subsequent lightning current where the big energy is, uh, the later energy is, is spread out over a larger area and it significantly reduces the lightning damage, particularly on these very thin, critical um, structures that are in sort of smaller business type aircraft. It's a really interesting material. I did a lot of work with it uh, a long time ago, but uh, it's, it's very lightweight. It's very efficient uh, as a lightning protection material you still see it used on a variety of business jets and i think the 787 was using a derivative of that 
Um, I haven't followed the 787 lately, but I think they were using a derivative of that. And then uh, some other things that are coming up more recently, uh, basically conductive coatings or paints, uh, they seem to be getting a little more of the market share. There's some advantages to, to basically when the airplane's done painting with something conductive and then putting a top coat of paint on it and calling it done. There's advantages to that. Uh, simplicity, obviously, being able to control it a little bit. The problem comes about sort of later on is how do you repair it, right? So if I yeah. scratch it, do I, have to, you know, do I have to take the top coat of paint off to get into the, to fix this stuff? It's all about the repair side. And there's never, there's never a great answer for any of this stuff. Quite honestly, if you take a lightning strike, it's going to be expensive to fix, period. Yeah. Uh, but it's all about training. And, and if I'm out in a remote part of the world and I've got this very unique coating on the airplane, can I get it fixed? Does the, does the uh, maintenance depot I'm at know how to do this? Probably not, right? So that's, that's where things like expanded metal foils come in because pretty much anybody can do it anywhere. It's a little bit of training. So it's yeah. kind of a trade-off. It really is an interesting trade-off that's going on now. Yeah. So two, two thoughts popped into my mind as you're, you're talking about that. So on the repair side, so uh, did you finish, um, what is his name? The book is called Every Tool is a Hammer. It's by Adam Savage. Did you, did you finish that audiobook? Yeah, I did actually, yeah. I uh, really liked it. Interesting, I mean, yeah. Yeah, so one of the things he talks about, and this was towards, so if you're not familiar with Adam Savage, he is one of the two Mythbusters. He's the uh, guy, he was, well, Jamie has, Jamie's the bald one. Uh, Adam's, uh, I guess they, the not bald one, the not bald one. <laughs> I'm trying to think of his hair color. I guess he's kind of red, red isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so Adam Savage's book is called every tools a hammer. And he just talks about creating things and yeah. he covers glues and fasteners. And so one of his later yeah. chapters, he's talking about fasteners and he's talking about when you're, cause he makes, uh, like reproductions of, um, all these different movie props. Cause he just, that's like what he nerds out on. And he was talking yeah. about this, um, this this device from the movie Hellboy. It was uh, oh yeah, yes. What he was yes, talking yes, about yes. is the yeah. mecha, mecha glove. I think maybe it was called. Yeah. But he was he was referencing it and saying, you know, like when you're choosing fasteners, you could rivet it, you could glue it, you could weld it, you could bolt <laughs> it. And he's like, yeah. this, these are important questions. And this is yeah. tying back to you talking about repairs. It's like yeah. when you're building this, if it gets damaged what fasteners did you use and how do they affect how you're going to repair this? Because if you just yeah. make this all out of the factory and it's all pressed together and welded together and glued together, if something, if it has suffers damage, the whole thing's going in the trash. And he was right. talking about how one of his like reproductions and it might've been that crazy Hellboy uh, glove thing. Um, he was saying how like, when we got deep into the design, we'd used all like bolts and we could, we could completely disassemble it. He said, if we hadn't done that, he would have been like completely screwed at one point when he like snapped off a part or like yeah. something broke in the, in yeah. the assembly. Um, yeah. So it's just like an interesting, you know, when you're it's exactly talking about, it. No, yeah, it's, like, ex it's exactly it. When we're all designing airplanes, one of the more, especially on, on a, on a larger airplane where, you know, you're going to be a lot of maintenance on it because it's going to be flying for 30, 40 years probably is the maintenance aspect and, and how can you repair it? And yeah. are, is it something that you can repair uh, obviously there's theoretical repair and there's actual repair mm -hmm. the theoretical repair is like i can't the theoretical repair is like yeah there's a bolt there if i just loosen this bolt it's all going to come apart and fix it 
The actual repair is like, can I get my fingers and my tools in this area to physically get that bolt out? Yes oh, or no? Don't get me yeah. started on that. I used to repair cars in high school. Some of the most angry I've ever been was trying to dislocate my elbow to get down into the engine bay to get yeah. this one bolt out. And you're yeah. like, good grief. Airplanes, we have a place and usually every airplane has a place called the hell hole. And the hell hole is a, a place where it's just crammed and there's no place to sit in there. So you're kind of like leaning on or put your, got your knees on equipment <laughs> and it's hot and you're trying, you're working in the dark and you're trying to fix things. There's always a hell hole in an airplane. And for whatever reason, we haven't gotten away from that. It's like a rite of passage for some reason. But um, yeah. the, the maintenance of those things is a nightmare. It's a nightmare. There's so many systems jammed in a small space and it's just crazy. crazy. Yeah. Well, and you wonder, I assume probably back in the day, it was same, the same thing in, in airplanes as it was with cars. So like for me in high oh, school, yeah. I had a 67 Bronco. My brother had a 65 Mustang that we worked on and so much extra room <laughs> in the engine bay. Like those things were easy to work yeah. on compared to, it's hard to change your oil in a car today. It's like, yeah. It would, and it, which is frustrating because yeah. like, well, when I was 17, I, I, I took my engine out. I replaced my clutch. I replaced my transmission. Like I replaced all these parts. <laughs> and it's so like, now I'm 25, older and wiser. I can't even change my own oil. This is right. stupid. I'm going home. Like, you know what right. I mean? Yeah. It's, it's gotten more complicated, right? And the, it, this goes kind of go back to an earlier discussion we're having about making things more efficient and green, right? And part of that uh, consequence in order to do some of those things is that we have to pack in a lot more technology to make yeah. them more efficient. And so that means it just makes it harder to deal with. The same thing exists on airplanes. It's the same exact thing on aircraft where we're trying to make them lighter. Uh, we're trying to use advanced materials. We're trying to save energy. Uh, we're trying to make it uh, to do a lot of different things. And it's sort of the thing that gets left out is how am I going to fix this thing? And that gets back to even things like on lightning strike damage, one of the things of lightning strike damage, I, I say to all companies all the time is, okay, cool, this design works. How the heck are we supposed to fix it when it takes a lightning strike? And I just want everybody to think about that for a second, because if we're in Anchorage, Alaska, and I take a lightning strike and it's July, how long is this airplane going to sit in the tarmac before we can get it fixed? Because that's that's the yeah. reality of the situation, right? And, uh, Anchorage, Alaska is probably an easy place to get things fixed today because we fly everywhere in the world. So it, it's it's a sort of a deep take and pause a minute. Like, yeah, I can I can design really cool stuff, but if I can't fix it in some remote part of the world, then it's pretty much worthless. I need to go back to the drawing board and think about that for a little bit. Yep. Yeah. One well, and, and the other thing is you you probably I mean you probably experienced this just the same. So one year I was driving across the country. And I had to be in, I think, New Jersey, like say it was on a Friday yeah. and it was like a Tuesday. So I gave myself some cushion. It was like a two day drive, whatever. <laughs> My car, which was getting older, you know, paid off, whatever, uh, in the middle of Zanesville, Ohio. So kind oh, of middle, of, no, kind of middle yeah. of nowhere. Yeah, okay. uh, I hear a screeching sound. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Start seeing, uh, I can't remember which meter in my car or which uh, gauge that kind of dropped. Um, so I blew a belt. So I blew, I think I blew my alternator belt um, because my air conditioner pump seized, I later learned. So basically oh, I'm okay. driving and I'm aware that I have to get off the road. And if my car, my car's just going to run out, it, like the battery's going to run out anytime now. Yeah. 
is not oh, charging. Yeah. So I take the first exit. I <laughs> am driving just, and, I, and this wasn't one of those good exits where you get off and you're like, oh, there's a bunch of stuff around. It's like, no, I'm just like getting onto some back road. I don't know where this is taking me. This is not good. Like, you know, yeah. when you're, you're really low on gas and you take an exit like that and you're like, oh no, right. it's be five <laughs> miles, it be 10 miles. I'm going to have to push my car there. And right, uh, yeah. so I pull up to this little, and I, I mean, it was like eight inch tall grass. There were old beer cans and 30 packs of beer and six engines rusting in the front of this little, uh, little uh, car, sh- car shop. Yep. And, I, and yep. I walk up and I'm like, hey, is this an auto repair shop? You know, I expect to see some like, guy like sleeping with his cap over his eyes. Um, but it was a blessing because in this little shop, they were used to, it's like two guys and just like used to kind of jury rigging things and like making it work. Whereas yeah. I felt like I had yeah. ended up at like a official Honda dealership. They would have been like, well, you know, we can get the well, part on order. It's going to be $1,700. But these guys were like, well, yeah, that's a weird belt. Like we definitely don't have that, you know, serpentine belt for your Honda. But uh, they like rigged up two belts and like made it work. And I drove 500 miles on it. And Holy moly. I, wow. I, I, I that's pretty good. All the, yeah, I made it all the way out there. And uh they're like, yeah, when you get there, you know, go get this, like, act, get the get the correct belt and you need to get your air conditioner replaced or whatever it was. <laughs> I think yeah. what they did was they just bypassed it. They bypassed because my air conditioner pump was seized. So I think they bypassed it yeah. somehow with a series of belts else. and just yeah. got my alternator to keep turning. Yeah, um, bypass the air conditioner, sure. It's going to get yeah. warm, but you'll have power. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but anyway, you just, you know, when you talk about repairs <laughs> and some of these mechanics, being nimble yeah. and able to fix stuff. It's uh, yeah. it was a tumultuous drive, to say the least. Oh, yeah. It, it builds character. That's what they say. It builds character. That's what they say. But when you're going through it, it doesn't build any character. It builds a lot of rage. No. Usually, a lot of times yeah. you're like, I don't want more character. I have enough character. Yeah, is- I'm full on character right now. <laughs> yeah, this is right. stupid. Um, so, yeah. So, obviously, you're, in your designs, you're trying to not only consult with, you know, engineers to just have their plane adequately protected, but also to be able to nimbly get back in the air should they have an issue. Yeah, I think that's uh, the key, especially in today's world. It it used to be years ago, uh, they had a lot more mechanics and um, as airlines have gotten and airline ticket prices have gotten less, quite honestly, is that they've got to be a lot more nimble. And uh, so having downtime on an airplane is a big issue and you need, and I've had that discussion recently with some radon customers about how quickly can you get the airplane back in the air and you can't have failures of non-essential equipment on an airplane, mm-hmm. particularly as some sort of, usually it's a TV satcom kind of radon. Um, if you have a problem on a piece of non-essential equipment that grounds an airplane, the airline officials get really angry really fast because it's something that they don't need to fly. And mm-hmm. every every missed flight, uh, over, obviously over in Europe, I think there's penalties for that. They don't consider lightning strike to be one of those uh, acts of God anymore. So, you know, they have to pay the passengers for the delay and that sort of thing. I think that's starting to happen in the States more too. So it's becoming more and more important that lightning is a foreseen, yeah, I think that's how it was described recently in the European Union. Lightning is a foreseen uh, condition, and so you have to design. You should be designing for it. Yeah, that's that makes not. Sense. Yeah, right. It makes sense, right? It happens all the time. We know it's going to happen. We have, we have regulations that say it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. The regulations don't say that. Here's the thing: the regulations do not say that. The regulations do not say that 
the airplane needs to continue flying without having to repair. In fact, it actually kind of says the opposite. You need to be looking at the damage. And well, obviously, you're going to look at the damage. I mean, that's, that's a clear thing that's going to have to happen. You're going to have to look at the damage. But if you do the walk around, you do all your safety checks, everything looks good, you want to put that airplane back in service. What you don't want is what has happened in a couple of instances recently where they've done the walk around like, oh, geez, I've, I've got this damage and uh, I got to get, get a new part in here. So I'm going to come until tomorrow. I got to get another airplane over here so I can get the passengers out on time. That, that kind of thing makes airlines nuts and rightly so. And as a passenger, having that happen to me as a passenger a couple of years ago, it's frustrating, really frustrating when something simple like that goes down. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so Alan, episode three coming up, we've made it through two. Good, made good it through work. Two. Yeah. Good, good work, both of us. Um, so <laughs> for all of you out there in uh, podcast land, whether you're listening on iTunes Spotify, uh, I think we're Stitcher. We've heard is having a little bit of uh, trouble getting new feeds. Slow on the show. right now. Yeah, yeah, they're struggling. Yeah, um, but we appreciate you listening. Uh, be sure to look for us here on again uh, YouTube, iTunes, uh, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're going to be out there. Yep. Um, and just uh, be sure to, if you haven't already, check out our new updated website. So WeatherGuardArrow is dot uh, com is our website where you'll find this podcast as well as a number of uh, helpful lightning uh, articles, uh, some great yeah. videos, a lot of yep. new content that we're putting out. So if you uh, need help with your radon designs, if you need help with really any aspect of your, your lightning protection, you're going to find a lot of good resources at uh, weatherguardarrow.com. So definitely check that out. We're proud of the work we put in um, and we hope it's helpful to you. And if you need something, you know, say, Hey, we, we'd love to see content on this topic or this topic, you know, drop us a line uh, info at, wglightning.com or shoot us a message through the website and uh, we'll get on that. Alan, yeah. thanks so much. Uh, yeah, thanks, great Dan. episode. Yeah, we'll catch yes. you guys next week. <laughs>